0: Hello, I'm Cass Feely, a historian at the University of Derby. Welcome to Global Derbyshire in 10 Objects, a series of 10 podcasts that examines not only Derbyshire's rich heritage as a global industrial powerhouse, but the heritage of, possibly, one of the UK's most overlooked areas. These podcasts are brought to you by the University of Derby for the Being Human Festival 2020, Being Human is the UK's only National Festival of the Humanities and is a celebration of humanities research through public engagement. As a festival hub, the University of Derby's programme is rooted in partnerships with museums, archives and libraries across the county to explore this year's festival theme of new worlds. In these programmes, I'll be meeting with expert curators, archivists, historians and artists to present fascinating stories about 10 diverse objects and artefacts from the 19th, 20th and 21st centuries, each with their own place in the global history of Derbyshire. In this episode, we look at a beautifully written petition by the people of the town of Bakewell that shows some very strong anti-slavery sentiments. The Derbyshire Record Office has very little information about where it came from or the circumstances of its writing, but Ruth Larson of the University of Derby is going to tell us how she has found out more. So I'm here at the Derbyshire Record Office with Ruth Larson and we're here to see a really interesting document. The Record Office call it the Bakewell Petition and we've got it in front of us. Um, So Ruth, could you tell me a little bit about this document and why it's so interesting? So if you first look at this
1: document, there doesn't seem to be anything really that stands out as important. All the things that historians want from a document are lacking. We don't have a date, we don't have any signatures, and it doesn't even seem to be a document that ever went through the post. So what do we do with a document um, like this? Well, what we can do is we can slowly take it apart bit by bit, and from this little document, we can see the way in which Derbyshire is connected to the wider world. The introduction of the document starts with this lovely phrase to the Knights of the Shire, representing the northern division of the county of Derby. And that sounds wonderfully medieval, it sounds like something of a past age, but instead what we're actually talking about is a document from the 19th century. I recognise that from the handwriting, it's beautiful handwriting, isn't it? It is
0: absolutely beautiful and actually quite easy
1: to read. Which is great for um, historians coming in to the record office rather than those <laughs> documents from the 19th century which get increasingly difficult to read, we can read it quickly. And that's another clue for us to look at when looking at this um, document. So we Carries on, and um, representing the knights of the um, northern division, of the county of Derbyshire in Parliament, the following requisition of the undersigned electors residing in Bakewell in the said county, respectively, sheriff, and so the setting up that they're going to ask the Knights of the Shire. So who are the Knights of the Shire? Well, they are members of Parliament, both Houses of Parliament, both the Commons and the House of Lords. That's the old phrase um, for them. And the fact that it says for the Northern Division points to the fact that it's after 1831, when the County of Derbyshire split into two, the North and the South. So we can get a bit of an understanding of who they are writing to. So they're writing to the two MPs, Thomas Gisborne, and William Cavendish, important names for us to know as well. It then goes on. What are they requisitioning uh, uh, about? They said that several of your re- requisitionists, them um, the writers, have on several occasions felt it their duty to address the two houses of Parliament on behalf of those suffering fellow subjects who were held in a state of the most painful and degrading slavery in the British colonies. So immediately we're launched into a moment in time. We're looking at a moment after 1832, when people are writing to Parliament to ask for the end of of slavery in the British colonies. And they go on to say, we are anxious to express our abhorrence of that pervading system, our sense of the great danger that must arise from its continuance, and our very strong desire to see the system finally and instantly put an end to really passionate language there isn't it? Absolutely. And it goes on and says this your requisitionists have lately been encouraged to respect by that I want to read result that phrase. Safe and satisfactory plan. Now that's a really interesting phrase. Legal historians will get quite excited by that <laughs> phrase even though it's a slightly boring set of words because that's a phrase that you use about a document or a legal act that is going to work effectively. But at this moment of time, we can point it to a very specific time period. We haven't even got to the date yet, but we can point it to a very specific time period. You can see I got excited when looking through this document. Because in the spring of um, 1833, this phrase was used by the leader of the House of Commons to the leading abolitionists in Parliament to describe the new plan that they were going to put forward. So we now know that we're at spring 1833 even more details as well and it goes on and describes the safe and satisfactory plan which ministers have promised to produce on the 23rd of april so there we are we have a date at last and then it goes on to say that we support this plan that's going to be put forward but we want to make sure that you our Members of Parliament support this this plan. And it goes through the reasons why they support um, this plan, because they think slavery is is dreadful and that it should should end as soon as possible. And they are actually at this point writing to the converted. If you look at who the MPs are that they're writing to, these are two Members of Parliament who have a long record or familial long records for being against um, slavery. William Cavendish, who later became the seventh Duke uh, of Devonshire, had supported anti-slavery campaigns for a number of years while he was a member of parliament for Yorkshire, which was the position he held before this seat became available. Thomas Gisborne, though, is a real anti-slavery campaigner and he was very, very important in the abolition of the slave trade at the beginning of the 19th century. He's a very important part of Derby and Derbyshire's national and political um, history, and he wrote a pamphlet on the abolition of slavery in 1792. He also continues to be a real radical against slavery throughout his life, so it's interesting that they feel
0: the need to write this petition. I was going to ask that, because if if these MPs are supporting that cause, why do they need to, to write to them? Well, I don't think that they are actually trying to convince
1: the members of Parliament. They have got these people on their side. They're getting their voice into Parliament. And similar letters to this, in fact very similar letters to this, were sent to MPs in Yorkshire and Bedfordshire amongst many other places
0: at this moment of time. So it's a wider campaign basically. Absolutely. So it's a bit like, I don't know, Amnesty International where there's almost a form letter. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's why this is
1: so beautifully written. Yes. It's because it takes that form that they're sharing Mm -hmm. everywhere as well. It's part of an organised campaign. So they're not trying to convince them against the end of slavery. They're trying to convince them around the importance of its full abolition. Because, of course, the thing that happened is that when they abolished slavery, first of all, they didn't free the slaves. They moved them, these are the slaves within, as it very precisely says, within, um, within here, within the British West Indies. Instead, what they did is they moved them to an apprenticeship system. Mm-hmm. So they didn't actually gain their freedom until the end of the 1830s. And so this is actually what they're writing about, is the fact that they're concerned about that, they want the full. So Abolition. they want things to
0: go further, basically.
1: Absolutely, or they want to make sure that that voice is coming through. They fear a fudge.
0: And so we're seeing
1: people in Bakewell concerned about the wider impact of slavery within the wider world.
0: Because I was going to actually ask you, um, is there something particularly in Bakewell that, that makes people have strong feelings how widespread was anti-slavery in, in Derbyshire?
1: I don't think there is anything particular about Bakewell, except for the fact it's an organized market town with a good urban community where people have the space to debate and discuss these ideas, as they would have done across the region. And we can see anti-slavery activity taking across the whole of Derby and Derbyshire in the late um, 18th and early 19th century. Various petitions taking place, particularly to end the slave trade in 1807, but also, as well, ongoing um, campaigns. the mother of Herbert Spencer, one of Derby's most famous sons, was a real campaigner against slavery. And we also know, and I, I love this little um, factoid, is that Alano Equiano, one of the leading um, um, black writers in this time period whose biography was really influential in changing people's um, um, ideas about slavery. He visited the Peak District Gosh. and mentioned the mines in the sixth edition of his interesting narrative. That's oh, fantastic. And that's because he saw that he could speak to British working class people or British ordinary people by connecting mining and the conditions that those people were in to the slave condition as well. So that's part of this wider
0: idea against slavery. Okay, so we've been talking about anti-slavery. I wondered if you could tell us if there were any connections to slavery in Derbyshire? More generally?
1: Well, yes, there, there were. Of course, ordinary people had, um, by default, connections to slavery by the goods that they, they bought. In the early part of the 19th century, after the abolition of the slave trade in 1807, the sugar that was still coming into Britain was, by and large, still slave-made sugar. And one of the reasons that that campaigning from 1807 didn't continue to be successful was because sugar was big business. Mm. People liked sugar, tea was becoming more popular, coffee remained very popular... Is well, and of course, in this part of the world, and particularly in Bakewell, baking was really popular. So people were consuming slave goods. Also within Derbyshire, of course, it's a big cotton-making part of the world, and, and a number of the cotton um, and factories got their cotton from slave-based um, plantations as well. So people are using slave goods all the time. And while there had been, in earlier time periods, anti-saccharine protests where people laid off the sugar, um, that's quite <laughs> difficult to do, particularly <laughs> in the world where you love tea and rum. And so those things are moving um, away from it. But some people also had significant financial investments within um, slavery, including actually relatives of the the MP, the 7th Duke, or (laughs) the man who later became the 7th Duke of Devonshire. His brother-in-law was a member of the Lascelles family who um, were part of the um, Harwood House and the Earls of Harwood, and they had made their money through through slavery. And while his brother-in-law was largely anti-slavery in what he said, that was very much where his money came from. And if you have a look at the fantastic website, The Legacies of British Slave Ownership, you can have a look at all the people in Derbyshire who received compensation at the end of the slave trade. These aren't slaves. These are slave owners. When slavery was abolished, it wasn't the slaves who got the compensation, it was the people who owned the slaves. And there's a number of people in Derbyshire who got that compensation. Probably most um, notably was Sir Henry Fitzherbert of Tissington Hall, who had lands and enslaved people in Barbados and Jamaica. This led to him being awarded nearly £20,000 in compensation. And I don't really like comparing money from then to now, it's quite complicated. But as a rough estimate, that's over a million pounds.
0: And I think I'm right in saying that, you know, those... Uh, payments were only actually finally made in the last couple of years, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, so
1: what happened is they had to, and um, the British government had to take a very, very large loan mm-hmm. um, in order to pay those off, and that loan was only very recently finally paid off. So the legacies of slave ownership and the compensation that was paid is still being fe- was still being felt by British taxpayers to very recently, and of course the wider legacies and international legacies of slavery are still being felt around the world. One of the richest places in the world world in the time period of the early 19th century is now one of the poorest parts uh, of the world. That's modern Haiti as well because of the shifts of of what happened because they were a single economy under slave ownership and they'd lost those networks when they declared themselves um, a republic.
0: Okay well thank you very much. I think in looking at one document we managed to somehow get from Bakewell to Haiti (laughs) and so it actually shows you how rich it can be just looking at, at one Like this. Thank you very much indeed, Ruth. Thank you very much. Global Derbyshire in 10 Objects is presented by the University of Derby for the Being Human Festival 2020 and it was presented by me, Kath Feely, for the University of Derby. Being Human is the UK's only national festival of the humanities. A celebration of humanities research through public engagement, it is led by the School of Advanced Study at the University of London, the UK's National Centre for the Pursuit, Support and Promotion of Research in the Humanities, in partnership with the Arts and Humanities Research Council and the British Academy. For more information, visit beinghumanfestival.org. The Global Derbyshire and Ten Objects podcast series was produced by Roger Morford.